We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. This is kind of an added podcast this week. Uh, I had a very interesting conversation the other day after he was recommended to me um, by somebody in town um, as someone who was very close to Bill Russell. He's from here. He played high school basketball here, uh, ended up playing somewhere else collegiately, and then played with Russell in Boston for two seasons. Uh, His name is Ronnie Watts. It's interesting, since I recorded this with Ronnie the other day, I have talked to no less than three people, brought up his name, and they said, of course, the guy that played for the Celtics or the guy that was friends with Bill Russell. Um, And so uh, with that, um, let me uh, let you listen in on the conversation that I had with Ronnie Watts the other day about uh, his close friend, lifelong friend, Bill Russell. As everybody knows, uh, the passing of Bill Russell uh, this earlier this week was a, a massive story, one of the greatest of all time, and the outpouring uh, and the storytelling over the last few days um, has been uh, so heartwarming. He was 88 years old, passed away on Sunday. We had JT3 on the radio show the other day. We had our good friend Jimmy Patsos, uh, who grew up in Boston and was a big Boston Celtics fan on the podcast the other day, um, sharing stories uh, about uh, about Bill Russell as well. Um, I got a call, uh, or I got an email, excuse me, from George Solomon, George, the longtime uh, editor of the Washington Post sports section, and he recommended that I reach out to Ronnie Watts. Ronnie Watts was a very good friend of Bill Russell's. He played for the Celtics for a few years on Russell's teams in the 60s. And so Ronnie Watts is joining us right now on the podcast. And I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that I knew a lot about you uh, before um, before George uh, asked me to reach out to you and thought that it would be a great conversation. But I didn't realize until reading a little bit about you, you grew up in this area. You went to Wilson High School. You played at Wake in the ACC. And Red Auerbach, you know, uh, kind of was keeping an eye on you and eventually signed you to the Celtics. So um, tell everybody a little bit about you, when you grew up, where you grew up in D.C., um, you know, how you okay, ended up at I, Wake Forest. I, so so go ahead, sir, I, please. Uh, okay. Uh, thank you, Kevin. 
I grew up in Washington, D.C., went to Wilson High School, did not go out for the basketball team till my senior year because of many knee problems. And uh, one time up at uh, Chevy Chase Community Center, Brad saw me playing, and he said, golly, there's one guy that seems to be uh, reaching out and above everyone else. And uh, he said, God, I think you could play pro, Ronnie. And this is before I even went to college. So that gave me tremendous confidence. And Red said, uh, why don't you come over to the house? And he invited myself and my dad, Arnold Watts, to come over to his house. And we went up to his house, and we uh, started, he started saying, where are you thinking of going to college? And I just mentioned American University and a couple of schools. He said, let me call my old friend Bones McKinney <laughs> of Wake Forest in the ACC. So he called up Bones, and Bones said he had a scholarship. So we arranged for myself and my dad to come down. We flew down to Wake Forest in Winston-Salem, and lo and behold, we got off the plane, ready to take over the entire ACC, and there was no one to greet us. <laughs> and uh, Bones did not it must have forgotten about the date. And uh, my dad and I just went to the campus, we walked around the campus, we ran across the Chaplain Hollingsworth, and Chaplain Hollingsworth showed us around. I got back uh, home, and I really did like the school at Wake Forest and the ACC back in the early 60s, and my dad said something that really changed my life. He said, write a thank you note to Chaplain Hollingsworth for showing you around Wake Forest. And that truly changed my life, and I've always emphasized that to my children, to write a thank you note, show your appreciation. So I wrote a thank you note saying, thank you so much for showing us around. Well, Chaplain Hollingsworth was touched by the the note that I sent, and they showed it to the admissions department, and I got accepted at Wake Forest and uh, played in the ACC and against Billy Cunningham at North Carolina, and we did extremely well in the ACC, and uh, it was just a, a wonderful experience going to college in the ACC, uh, getting a good education, and and uh, then years later, my son, because of Red Arback, the coach of the Celtics, saying that one of those one little statement to me, I think you could play pro, gave me a little extra bolt of confidence. And all through life, you have to look at something that'll give you a, an extra burst of confidence. And I think you could play pro. Kept ringing in my ears, and uh, I did very well in the ACC and got drafted by the Celtics. I, uh, I I did well enough to be drafted uh, by the Celtics, and I drove all the way up to Boston from North Carolina up to New York. And I went to the Plaza Hotel where the draft was being conducted, Kevin. And uh, there Red saw me, said, hide out. Don't let anybody see you. You know, I'm going to draft you, but don't, don't, you know, I don't want to tip it off to any other teams. There were only nine teams back in the early 60s. Now the, the NBA has, what, 32, 33. So he drafted me and... I uh, 
I it was just a great experience being up in Boston. And then I played. Uh, Bill Russell was the player coach of the Celtics on his first year, and I was on the team. And Russ uh, trusted me enough to help him with the timeouts, uh, showing the momentum shifts. And I could always spot when there was a little lag of the team. And then the substitutions, I could spot when a, a Bailey Howell might be getting a little tired and say, you know, I just, just mentioned it to Russ, tablet check for Bailey. All right, you say, John, come on in for Bailey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kevin, it was just great. I felt I was contributing in a certain way, whatever way was needed, to help a person like Bill Russell. I felt Russell had a tremendous amount of uh, of uh, just Kevin. Kevin, he just had a tremendous amount. So you're you're on next. Kevin. So, so uh, well, so I want to get to to Russell and your relationship with him in the in the years that you spent with him in Boston, and then the friendship that developed over a long period of time. But you started off by saying that Red Auerbach discovered you at Chevy Chase Playground. I mean, that's a legendary playground, uh, you know, for Washingtonians in this town. That's where all of the best players, right, Ronnie? That's where they played, um, and and Red Auerbach would ha- would hang out there. And and find players and help players like you get to college. So this would have been what the early sixties, you know. Right. This was sixty one, sixty two. And you you were playing at Wilson, but you didn't play your final year. And what were you? So you were just playing pickup ball without the intention in that moment of going to college to play college basketball. Well, I was just playing pickup ball, and then I played. well enough to make the Wilson team, and I averaged 20 points and 20 rebounds. And Bill Bradley was an absolute... Bill Bradley at Princeton was just a tremendous influence, how hard he worked. And we would go up to Chevy Chase Playground, run uh, a mile and a half, two miles, then, then run 10 uh, 100-yard wind sprints, and then when you're completely exhausted, go up to Chevy Chase and play against the plus playgrounds. A David Bing, uh, the best in D.C. that they had to offer. So I said, Bill, how long have you been doing this? And he said, since the eighth grade. So I packed everything that I could into the five years that I was playing basketball. And uh, thankfully, Russell uh, just sensed something about me, and he kept me uh, on the team. Um, real quickly, so at Wake Forest, because I'm looking it up, you averaged in your final year, you averaged 19.2 points per game for Bones McKinney on on some of his good Wake Forest teams. Now, were you on any of the teams with Billy Packer? Well, Billy was a senior when I was a freshman. So Billy Packer and Len Chapel were seniors. Right. That's when Wake Forest finished third in the country. Yeah, so you were a freshman on that team. That is correct, Kevin. Gotcha. And and by and back then, freshmen weren't eligible uh, to play. Um, and uh, correct. Yeah. And, and, and Wake, I think, in Packers' senior year, um, made it all the way to the uh, to the Final Four. Um, probably, yeah. a, a, probably a Final Four. I'm assuming that was won by UCLA because they pretty much all were won by yeah, UCLA. Yeah, when John Wooden was the coach, and John Wooden, yeah, did uh, unbelievable. But but uh, they had. Uh, they had great teams, but at Wake Forest, uh, 
you know, I, I set some rebounding records that later were broken by a young fellow named Tim Duncan, who who really was a close, uh, great, great, great player in the, in the NBA. Wait, wait, you did you say what what records did Tim break? Uh, Tim Duncan rebounding. Break? Uh, my my best. I was uh, my my strongest points were rebounding and playing defense, and so I did whatever I could to bring out the best in my teammates and use what I learned from a Bill Bradley. Whenever a bass, whenever you go with layup lines, be the first one to start throwing the ball out to your other teammates to get them warmed up. And then when they would get warmed up, they'd say, Ronnie, come on out here. You know, I'll throw the ball to you. So that helped an awful lot. Wow. Uh, that's pretty impressive. I mean, I am an ACC person, you know, having grown up uh, as a Maryland fan and now, you know, and, and having gone to school at Maryland. And there were some great Wake Forest players over the years. Tim Duncan, probably the all-time best, and he broke your rebounding record. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty incredible. Um, we are talking to Ronnie Watts. Ronnie played with Bill Russell in Boston. So let's go to that. You get drafted by Boston um, Russell's already there. Uh, it's already, a, you know, an excellent team. Tell me about your first, you know, what you remember about your first impressions and how yours and Russell's relationship developed. Well, you know, uh, first of all, during the practice, you'd be doing layup lines of the length of the court, and the the pros, the, the veterans on the team would say, "Okay, Ronnie, take my spot." So you'd run full court down and full court back, and then you'd be exhausted, and then a Havlicek check would say, Ronnie, take my spot. So I kept running and running, and uh, Russell noticed I never asked for any quarter and did the very best that I could. So Russell, I never said a word to Bill Russell the first year, and I guess uh, we got through the first year, and then the next year when Russell was the player coach and he kept me on the team, and I did whatever I could to bring out the best in Bill Russell. Yeah, uh, and and that would have been 66-67. You were in your second right. year, and Russell uh, became the, the player coach. Um, and, right. and, and he made a major breakthrough, major breakthroughs. It was unbelievable how brilliant he was as a player coach, making all the substitutions, recognizing the momentum, uh, and I assisted him in any way that I could. And he always had a feeling that I was I wasn't out for myself. I was out for for Bill Russell. And uh, Russ, we became close friends at the end of the year. Then he came down to Miami where I was living, and he called me up. Let's let's, let's get together, and we started palling uh, around. And then uh, we just developed a very close relationship. All right, we'll continue this with Ronnie Watts uh, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So you played for just two years, right? Including Russell's first as as player coach in 66, 67. So what happened right. after that season? Um, well, that's when Russell, Russell called me up and said, let's get together. And we just, I, I uh, drove out with Russell when they used to, uh, you know, drove with him up to Seattle. We searched for houses and he lived in that house for the next 40 years. Right. And he moved up to Seattle. So, and whenever he was speeding, he, whenever he was speeding, he got this special radar detector because he was a fast driver. And uh, I would always imitate a whistle like beep beep. And he's damn, the police are around here. I said, yeah, gosh darn it, they're everywhere. And I said, there might be the overpass. So then he'd slow down. I said, but you know, you you gotta you gotta just keep driving at your own pace. But Russell Russell always to me we had the same sense of uh, uh, humor, the same sense of humor, the, uh, the same sense of bringing out the best in each other. 
Well, bringing out the best of each other is exactly what you guys did together on a television commercial, an AT&T television commercial that turned out to be a very popular television commercial during the early 1970s. And I'll ask you about uh, how this came together, but I want people to hear it first. This was Bill Russell with his good friend and teammate, Ronnie Watts, in what became a very popular AT&T TV commercial during the early 1970s. Well, I have this friend, Ron, who's a very dear friend of mine. And uh, we met when I was uh, playing with the Celtics, and uh, he was pretending he was a basketball player. And um, I used to play, and he'd watch, and... We became friends because I admired the way he watched. He masqueraded as a player coach, and I was the coach of the team. It can now be revealed for the first time. He's always the same. Crazy. Good friends are for keeps, so keep in touch. Long distance is the next best thing to being there. Ronnie, that was great. How did that all come together? Russell was asked to pick out a friend of all the friends he knew to come up to uh, New York. So I, I just went up to New York. Had no idea what was going to be happening. And the AT&T executives liked the way, the, the interplay we would have. So here's the one guy that's hitting back and forth with Bill Russell. So they said, Ronnie, come on up. We're going to do a commercial. And it's going to be on good friends or for keeps. So keep in touch. And long distance is the next best thing to <laughs> being there. So the commercial with AT&T was an overnight success. And everyone was saying, who is Ronnie Watts? <laughs> and, and, but they found out. I was. Do you think that that's really that commercial was when people found out how close you and Bill were? Well, I think that was because that was a breakthrough. Who is this guy? So I would get uh, a lot of different uh, newspapers calling, you know, when did you develop the relationship? And uh, to me, the, the relationship with Russell was always based on trust, on loyalty, on on respect for tradition. And uh, he liked it. We'd come to Washington. We'd play golf together, and he liked my dad, Arnold Watts. Uh, we'd invite us out to play golf together at Woodmont, and, geez, it was just fantastic. Russell would go out there, and the place would just stop, you know. It, Ronnie's got Bill Russell here. And uh, it, it just paved the way for our relationship, and it was unbelievable. What do you remember about those years in Boston with him? Because there's been so much discussed in the wake of his passing, not that it wasn't discussed a lot prior to it, um, about you know the racism that he faced um, playing in, in a city like Boston during his career. What do you remember, if anything, about that? Well, I remember that was uh, – he always stood for, I'm going to be what I am. Uh, he'd say, Popeye was my favorite philosopher. And I'd say, Popeye, yeah. And he would say, Popeye would always say, I am what I am. And Russell said, I am what I am. Accept me for who I am, not who you want me to be. And that's all he asked for anybody. And the racism came, of course, from being black. And then he'd say, Ronnie, how do you feel about the racism of you growing up Jewish in this era? And I said, look, you got to do what you feel is best for yourself and in your religion. And, and he always stood for something. It's the old expression, if you don't stand for something, 
you will fall for anything. And uh, Bill Russell always stood for who I am as a person, all right? Who I am. And God only knows I would go out and play golf with him. He'd say, come on, we're going to play golf together in Los Angeles. So I didn't know who we'd play with. And I, and I was staying with Russell at his place. And all of a sudden, I said, Jim, here's Jim Brown, the football player. So we, we, Russ teed off, and he had a nice shot down the middle. I'd say, way to hit the ball, Russ. And uh, Jim Brown said, don't Uncle Tom him. And I said, oh, my God, Jim Brown is going to outrun me. <laughs> I'm going to be in major trouble. And I said, hey, Jim, I did not Uncle Tom him. We've been friends a long time. And all of a sudden, Russ pulled Jim Brown over. And I could hear sort of, hey, Jim, listen, this is my good friend. He is out visiting me. Don't pull any of your stuff on him. And after that, I hit the ball, and he, and all of a sudden he'd say, "Where you to hit the ball, Big Ron?" <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah. and then I, yeah. So the, I would hit a, hit one another sand trap. Where you to hit the ball, Big Ron? So Jim, Jim and I became okay. Uh, after that, we had a wonderful round together. But Russ always knew that I was going to be on his side. And uh, I remember at the breakup dinner, we had the breakup dinner in Boston. And he said, if desire and hustle were all it takes, Ronnie Watts would be the greatest player alive. And I, I built on that. I would always uh, build on the, the great philosophers of our time. And uh, just, just currently, my son Trent Watts gave me the book on Stoics. And you'd see what Plato and Aristotle said. So, uh, I just built on that. You could, you just referred to it as the breakup dinner. What what was that? Was that when he told well, you you weren't going to be on the team? No, no, no. It was just everyone would get together. Oh, at the end of the year. Say, okay, that's at the end of the year. Got it. We'd get together, and here's the breakup dinner. Hey, guys, we'll see you next year. Everything went well. And uh, Russell would get up and just say brilliant words about different people. And we all felt together as a family. Um, real quickly, on the golf round in L.A. with Jim Brown and Bill Russell, do you remember who the fourth was? Yeah, it was Fred Williamson, the guy that was... Uh, oh, yeah, the actor. Uh, yeah, the actor, Fred Williamson. That's a pretty good and, foursome. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think we did all right. But Russ would then say, uh, I, was going to be, I was getting ready to get married, and Russ would say, listen... Adidas just uh, is paying for me to have an all-expense-paid trip to Europe. Why don't you go on your honeymoon? And that's a great idea. So I told my wife, Rox, I told my future wife, Roxanne, we've got an all-expense-paid trip to Europe. and go around, and she said, wow, that's going to be great. So all of a sudden, we get married. We get ready to go over to Europe. And Russ says, you know, I've changed my mind. <laughs> I don't think I want to go to Europe. You know, I've been a lot of times. I've played in the Olympics. and go, You know, uh, I, I just call off that trip. So I was already made plans to get married, and Roxanne was looking forward to it. So, uh, in a sense, we went ahead and got married, and uh, Bill Russell was a major factor in the going ahead with the trip. 
And then we went to Europe for about three weeks. Oh, so you did go on the trip, but he didn't go with you. Uh, no, that's correct. Okay. He just went on the trip, but we had to pay for it ourselves. <laughs> got it. But he was going, I want to make sure I have this clear. He got a trip from Adidas, and he essentially gave it to you to take. Right. But but but, but then he decided he, he wasn't going to take it from Adidas, and so you had to pay your that own way. That is right. Okay. Um, but that you, is right. And I said, way to come through again, Russ. <laughs> <laughs> well, was that your honeymoon, or did you get married in, in your That was our honeymoon, yeah. Got that it. was our honeymoon. All expenses paid for by Bill Russell, who decided not to take the trip. Um, so we didn't... We didn't use the. We didn't use Russ. We just went by ourselves. I want to come back to some some more Russell stories, but I want to hear what you say about him as a player because you know how sports fans are, and we talk about different eras, and people try to compare different eras. And you know, was Russell better better than Wilt, or was Wilt better than Russell? And who's you know, was where was where's Kareem in that conversation? You played with him. You were his teammate. You were one of his best friends. Um, tell me about Bill Russell, the basketball player. Well, Russ had a photographic memory. He would uh, memorize whatever NBA players would go to. So he would know that if a Billy Cunningham would go uh, to a certain move, he would let Cunningham go to that move during the game. But then when it came to crunch time, Cunningham would go to that move and Russell would be there to block it. So he had an unbelievable memory. When we played golf, he would call me up after we played golf and say, hey, Ronnie, you got the scorecard? Yeah. Let me go through it. He goes through all 18 holes and had it completely memorized. Wow. He'd do um, the same in basketball. So, I mean, playing on those teams with Havlicek and Sam Jones and Casey Jones and and Russell and all of these, you know, future Hall of Famers and Don Nelson and 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 Red Auerbach coaching the team, at least, you know, before he turned it over to uh, to right. Russell. It was a, yeah, it was a teamwork. You know, Russell always said to himself and to the players, what can I do that will bring out the best? in each individual teammate. I'm not concerned with individual statistics, but what can I do? And, uh, boy, he really made sure that Havlicek got the ball in the right spot, that a Bailey Howe uh, would rebound. So when, I, when I got up to the Celtics, Ray Arbach told me there's three things to make the team. Number one, Russell doesn't like anyone on his back, so box out. Number two, be the very first man back on defense. Even if it's not your man, you do what you can for the team. Be the first man back. And number three, you want to make this team, you run like hell. <laughs> and that was red. Um, the only year, I think, I mean, you know, certainly one of the only years that he didn't make the NBA Finals, you were on that team in 66-67. That was the Wilt Philadelphia, uh, you know, the Philadelphia team that you guys lost to. What were the, I mean, you got to see Russell against Wilt up close. What was that like? Well, yeah, it was unbelievable. You know, Russ was uh, outweighed by 50, 60 pounds. Uh, Wilt was three or four inches taller. But Russ had a better grasp of the game. Mm-hmm. He could, he, you know, you, he knew what each individual player 
He'd let Wolf get his 35, but he would hit each open man, and that was the secret to the Celtics' success. So tell me, um, you know, about your relationship, your lifelong relationship with Bill Russell, long after, you know, he's done with basketball and over the the many years since you guys developed a relationship in the mid-1960s, what that was like. Okay, it was it was unbelievable in the sense that that, that we always stayed in touch. Every week or two, he'd call me or I'd call him. And you do certain things that would say, hey, this is a special relationship. You know, I want to help Russ. I always wanted to help Russ do everything he could. And the, uh, the relationship, you know, I, I think we both appreciated each other's sense of humor. I was, uh, he was so quick and so brilliant. And I was always uh, a good balance for him. And we brought out the best in each other. And he always knew that, that I, I would be there for him. And I always knew he'd be there for me. I had many surgeries on my back. I had 18 three-inch screws on my back and 10 screws on my neck. Each surgery, he'd say, Ron, call me up before you go in. I'd call him up at 6 a.m. I said, that's 3 o'clock California time. Call me up or I'll call you. And he always was there. They gave me that little whip that said, hey, Bill Russell is pulling for me. That meant so much when you're going through pretty much life-threatening surgeries. Yeah. You have someone in your corner. Yeah, definitely. Um, you, um, you, uh, I, I know uh, as Russell the storyteller, uh, you know, it's been said that it was, you know, it was straight truth and there was never any exaggerating, never any hyperbole. Never, never, never. He was an authentic person. You, what you saw, you got, you know. I always knew Russ would never exaggerate, you know, and I might want to build him up saying, Russ, you had a four in that hole. He said, nope. I had a five. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes people will cheat. They'll say, I, I got a, I had a four. He would always say, I had what I had. And let's take it for that. And you accepted him. That's the way he lived. And uh, it, 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 it taught you so much about tradition, growing up, respect for parents. I mean, when the Ku Klux Klan it made an, imp- an impression on him when he was young, and the Klan surrounded his house one time. He was only 12 years old. And they were going to burn down the house. And his grandfather, his father's father, said, they're not going to burn down my house. He took out his shotgun. And he came out and blasted away. And the Klan went running. And he said, at that moment, I always knew I was going to stand up for myself, for the tradition of my family. And that's something we can, all of us can use. Let's stand up for the family that we have. And I was always so thankful that my mother and father were who they were. And he was so thankful. He was, it was a shame his mother died when he was only 12 years old. And there was never really closure to that relationship all through his life. You know, I read this um, this uh, piece that his daughter Karen wrote many, many years ago about her father and 
what um, an incredible figure and what a stand-up guy and, and, and what a take-charge guy he was. And she told the story about how when they were away, many times they would come back and there were, you know, they were robbed once um, in Boston. Um, but many times... It was times, always the raccoons, right? It was always the raccoons. That's, that came and robbed his house, right? That's the story I was going to... Yeah, saying. that's what I was just going to mention yeah. is that... She told the story about how trash cans would always be tipped over and the police would say, yeah, it's just the raccoons in the neighborhood. Um, But she said, uh, one time my father went down to the police uh, station and said, uh, well, you know what, if it's raccoons, where do I apply for a gun license? Um, uh, As if he he was going to take matters into his own hand. And she said, from that day forward, it was amazing, but the raccoons never showed up again. (laughs) Um, That's true. Karen... When he said, uh, I'm going to have Karen come out and go to Georgetown, and she stayed with me. And uh, we, Karen is just a wonderful person. Then went on to Harvard Law School. Exactly. Yeah, I was reading about her. She, she went to Georgetown undergrad um, and ended up going to Harvard Law. And, um, you know, she went to Georgetown undergrad when Coach Thompson was there, and I had the chance to work with Coach Thompson for many years at the radio station. And um, you were, you know, he was on those teams with you. I mean, what are your recollections? Yeah, yeah, John, John was, John and John and I were, were close for many, many years. And uh, uh, it, 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 in fact, he named his son Ronnie after me, Ronnie Watts. Oh, really? Ronnie, Ronnie was named yeah. after you. Interesting. That is right. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it was nice. It was nice. A nice relationship. For many, many years with John and his wife, uh, Gwen. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine, you know, Bill Russell sends his daughter to Georgetown for undergrad in the 80s, and she's at Georgetown with John Thompson coaching there, and you're living in D.C., so he had two of his, you know, super close friends right there uh, to keep an eye on well, on his daughter. Yeah. You always wanted to do whatever you could to help Bill Russell, to assist him, because he never asked for help, but you always wanted to help him. You know, you said something a little while ago, you, you, and you've said it a couple of times, about what a, a great sense of humor and kind of a shared sense of humor that the two of you had. I, I think it's, I, I think most people, you know, if you think about it, when you laugh at the same things and you have a shared sense of humor, it's hard not to be friends with that person. It's one of the things that really connects people is a shared sense of humor. If you don't laugh at the same things I laugh at, more likely than not, we can be friends, but we probably won't be super close friends. And it sounds like that that was one of the links that, that you and, and, and Bill Russell had is that you had a shared sense of humor. Was he funny? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was he was brilliant. We had so many great fun times, and geez, I named my son Russell after Bill Russell. So, you know, we had fun. We just had fun. He, he just was a wonderful human being, a great humanitarian. What can I do? His sense of humor was unbelievable. You said he was then, super quick. He, said, he he was really witty. Yeah, very quick. And then I would try to say, well, I just did whatever I could. <laughs> and we matched each other very well. When's the last time just you like talked you, to him? Uh, I guess every, we talked every, probably every two or three weeks. And I, I guess lately I, I know that uh, it's, it's very hard to talk about, but 
probably a couple of weeks before he died. And uh, I'd call out there to Janine, and Janine would say he's sleeping, and I knew he wasn't sleeping. He always would take my calls. And that's when I knew he was really sick. Right. Well, I am so sorry for the loss of your friend. Obviously, the world, uh, the sports world, but much more than just the sports world, is 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 mourning him this week. Um, but I, I really appreciate your recollections and your memories of of the relationship you had with him. I mean, you you had an interesting life, you know, and I didn't know that um, until uh, until talking to you today and and doing a little uh, a research prior. But I mean, you know, you you were a, a Jewish basketball player from D.C. playing in Boston too. I would imagine that you. Uh, on some level, maybe not at the same level, but saw some of the same stuff and experienced some of the same stuff that Russell experienced. Well, in a sense, we did. I always wore my uh, Star David when I played in the ACC, and uh, I was proud of being Jewish, and Russ was proud of being black. And uh, we both had certain similarities growing up. And Uh, uh, he much more profound. Thank you for doing this. Uh, I really appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Uh, I wish you the best of health and, and the best of everything. And again, sorry for, for the loss. Well, thank you, Kevin. It was a pleasure talking to you. And you, uh, you, you brought out the best in whatever I had to say. And I, I certainly appreciate that. Ronnie Watts, everybody. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I did not know who Ronnie was until George Solomon reached out and suggested that he would be a good guest, that he was one of Bill Russell's lifelong friends, close friends. Uh, what a basketball player Ronnie Watts was. Um, you know, he's he's up there all time, uh, like top 10 all-time Wake Forest leading scorer. He said that Tim Duncan broke his rebounding uh, record that had uh, stayed for, for many, many years. Played just two years in the NBA, um, but uh, became Russell's really good friend and his confidant when Russell became a player coach. Uh, for the first time in the 66-67 season. Um, But I appreciate him uh, sharing some of his stories. I know that it was a very emotional week uh, that he uh, had. uh, His son shared that with me, and you heard some of that in his voice um, during the conversation. But I enjoyed that uh, a lot. Um, By the way, the story about Chevy Chase Playground and being discovered by Red Auerbach up there you know, this is a story that has to be told one of these days, and and perhaps it's been a part of various stories about high school basketball uh, in the area. Uh, but Chevy Chase Playground was a you know on Western Avenue there uh, on the line between Chevy Chase uh, and uh, Chevy Chase Maryland and Chevy Chase DC. Um, was a legendary playground for pickup basketball. I mean, the best players in the city, and it was segregated there for a while. I remember Coach Thompson telling me stories about that, and then when the best black players in the area started to show up, you had the best white players, the best black players. You had pro players that would be coming through town during the summer, would play pickup games there. Red Auerbach would park it there all the time to search out talent. Remember, you know, the draft back then was a territorial draft. Um, it was a regional draft um, in the NBA. Um, but, you know, if Ronnie Watts doesn't play pickup ball at Chevy Chase Playground after playing at Wilson um, and getting injured, he doesn't end up at Wake Forest and doesn't end 
end up in the NBA. Um, but Red Auerbach, watching him play pickup ball, said, I think you can be a pro basketball player one day. Um, anyway, I enjoyed that. I hope you did as well. I'll be back on Monday.